Full send. And we're back for another episode of the Lotcast here from Trinity Road Times. Trey, Alec, and Isad are with you. In between Marshall and Duke, uh, those will be kind of the talking points for tonight as NC State gears up for the thick of ACC play. And hard to believe, I, I, I didn't even think about this, that MJ Morris is getting ready to have his first road game as the starter at NC State. So that's something to think about here a little bit also. But let's touch a little bit on uh, on Marshall. Obviously, NC State wins that game 48-41. It wasn't the cleanest game, but uh, there were a lot of things that, that people thought were improved. Alec did a great job with the uh, the film room there. Um, so let's start with the, you know, the things you saw that were improved upon for NC State from Marshall versus the uh, the cataclysmic game against Louisville a couple weeks prior? Uh, points. Lots, <laughs> lots yeah, and good. lots of points. Um, like doubling the season average uh, output of points, uh, nearly doubling. I think uh, that previous average was around 25 or so points and getting to, to 48. Just showing that you can have big explosives, have big plays, and um, get the ball to your playmakers in space, give your quarterback time to time to work with, and put a lot of points on the board. I mean, there's a lot that needs to be cleaned up, and we can get into it, but overall, like, really a lot of, a lot of positives to take out of it. Yeah, I thought, I thought everything on the offense was better in this game, from quarterback play to all the way through the run game, um, even down to like the play design, I really, really liked, you know, a lot of the stuff they did with Trent Penix and I don't know, you know, where that has been to this point because mm-hmm. he is a matchup problem. And I think he proved that on his first, his first touchdown, but it was nice to see some explosive runs. Uh, you had seen many of those in the last two years. So that was pretty cool. Um, obviously MJ was the big story going in and, you know, I, I thought he was really good. You know, I, I didn't think that, most of the interceptions weren't uh, – he, he threw three. Um, I think I broke down each one of them um, post-game. And really, like, you know, there's parts of those that were his fault, but it wasn't as if he, you know, made a terrible read and threw the ball into coverage. You know, he threw a good pa- a good decision that was, you know, a little bit out in front of Concepcion and it was intercepted. And uh, he had to throw – they got batted up in the yard line of scrimmage. And, you know, those are just, like, little – tweaks that you know you work out you know through playing in the game but he made good decisions which is really what I was hoping to see and uh he was willing to take shots and that was what you wanted and you know he took a lot of shots and most of them were incomplete but that was okay with me uh, because he found one-on-ones and he tried to exploit them and I think that's what you want you know especially when you have well I think we have better receivers than on the outside than they've really been able to show this year so His aggression is something that I love, um, you know, that he's he's willing to find that one-on-one and just give that guy a chance. And, um, yeah, that's something that I'm, I'm excited to see more of. Yeah, uh, I, I think that there are uh, a lot of things on offense that, that could have gone better. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it for, for what, what we got so far. I mean, 17 of 32, you know, is – is, is very good for somebody with their first game action in, in almost a calendar year. Um, four, four touchdowns is higher than I would have guessed going into the game. Um, yeah, and, and like you said, so those interceptions, two of them at least, weren't, weren't, I would not really put at his fault. Um, so maybe the slight overthrow, but definitely that one to the screen pass that 
Porter Brooks just got blown up, and uh, yeah, that was a play. Yeah, so um, they Marshall played it well. They overwhelmed that side. They obviously saw it coming and read that State likes to to do that wide receiver screen out, out to the side. Um, I, I think the one thing that I would like to see done better is sustaining drives more often. Um, so it was something that I was um, reading a bit of about uh, after the game um state had 19 drives total in the game and six of them uh went 20 yards or more and um not the exact same six but also six went five or more plays so six out of 19 went five or more plays long uh so that shows that they hit on a lot of the explosive plays um and gained a lot of big chunk yards, uh, but they weren't able to have continuous successive um, drives where they, where they were able to work their way down the field, which I feel like uh, going into the the real meat of the ACC schedule they're going to need to do. Yeah, I think that starts with running the ball. I think that's the base of, of what you're talking about there, and that was something I liked from this game. I think the offensive line is getting better which is nice to see. I mean, McMahon being back was always going to be a big thing, but, you know, it wasn't really him that jumped off the screen to me. You know, rewatching this game, it was it was some of the other guys, mainly uh, Anthony Carter, right, who is a guy who, who has struggled because he is young. You know, he played his first real action in the bowl game last year. He hasn't played much, and he destroyed some people in this game. Yeah. He had a really nice game. He, he was very on top of it. He moved really well in run blocking. You know, he seems like a pretty good athlete. Um, you know, they, they, it's, it's kind of the same thing as, as what you were saying, you know, overall offense is the run game was, was kind of boom or bust. Um, it didn't have a lot of, you know, sustained nature to it, but they hit some explosive runs and, and, um, you know, I like some of the schematic things they did with, uh, with the run game as well. And in addition to all of that, obviously the sweeps was something that helped helps counteract the struggling run game as well. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, they're all positive signs. You know, I don't think we're going to see a, a team that's going to be running the ball super well the whole year. Um, I think that's at least a year away, uh, you know, if you continue a positive trajectory. But it's nice to see that they have, like, you know, something there right? because they can run the ball for a very long time. Um, another thing you hit on was, you know, the, the completion percentage is something that I think will be an interesting stat to look at for someone like Morris because he's so much more willing to throw the ball down the field Mm-hmm. that I think that may end up being one of those stats that doesn't matter for him mm-hmm. at the end. I mean, it, we'll see what happens, you know, but, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't look into that too much because I think he threw six or seven passes of more than 30 air yards in this game. Oh, wow. Um, and that was something I, I was, I was like, it was incomplete. And I was like, yeah, because <laughs> I was like, please, yeah. because he's like, you know, he trails down there. He's one-on-one, you know, give him a shot at the ball. And, right. um, yeah, that's something I want to see more of, and I was really happy to see that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think a couple of names that Alec addressed at the beginning of the year uh, that we saw get involved in the offense more. Trent Penix, obviously one. Terrell Timmons, the other. And the familiarity with, with MJ Morris and Terrell Timmons was certainly huge, uh, and I think that that will be helpful for him going forward to become a, a big part of the offense. Another thing I wanted to mention that I think is – uh, and I guess I can frame it as a question. Is, is it kind of a concern to you to see that teams are coming in and have 
really solid game plans against this 3-3-5 defense. We've seen Notre Dame have a good game plan. Looked like Marshall knew exactly what they were trying to do when they were running it early on in the game. Is that kind of a concern to you guys a little bit? I mean, we've seen this defense bend but not break for a long time. You know, Rasheen Ali is is most likely going to play in the NFL. At least he's that caliber of player that he's going to get a look. And, you know, he ended up with 63 yards and his longest run was 11 yards. So uh, I think that they, they were trying to feed him the ball consistently, but it just um, was something that the defense knew what they, they were going to try and, and do with him. And the other longest run was, was a 20 yard run that they gave up. So, um, I mean, yeah, the opposing offenses kind of know what they want to do, but uh, I, I don't think that's the reason why they gave up 41 points. Yeah. I think, I, I do think States put its weaknesses on tape by this point for sure. And I think they're pretty profound. This is a team that is going to shut down the traditional run game. Most of the time, uh, the three last five games they played against Audric Estime, Jawar Jordan, and Rasheen Ali, and they've given up a total of one explosive run to those guys. Uh, Louisville had 20 rushes for 29 yards. So, you know, it's a defensive front that's going to shut that stuff down, but um, I think what's really showing up is the inability to, to, to use this defense's aggression against it, um, which really started, I think, with Notre Dame, and they put a lot of that on tape. Um, you know, you you have to be disciplined, right? I mean, Marshall's came out with a lot of uh, option concepts, a fair amount of read. Um, they had a, a touchdown pass on a quarterback sprint out, right? This is something that teams are starting to do more and more to state is is try and get those defenders in a, in a conflicted state where they're, you know, making a read. Um, you know, Marshall scored a touchdown. First touchdown of the game was on a read option play, right? The play that set that up was a, a tight end leak. Um, you know, they they... they all, all this play action, all this eye candy stuff is really giving state trouble. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really what Marshall was doing. And if you go back and you look at their offense, there's a lot of explosive plays for them. Uh, and very few of them were traditional runs. None of them were actually, I don't think they had a single one. Um, you know, they didn't stretch the field with traditional pass plays very, very much. I think they had one or two opportunities to do that. And the guy, uh, what's his face just missed. Uh, it was mostly that kind of thing, and that's kind of been the story all year. And I think, you know, you look at the back end of the defense and you say it's a lot less experienced than it used to be. And, you know, that aggression is is slipping some of that discipline out of there a little bit. And um, I expect to continue to see that. So uh, it, it is a, that part is a concern to me, yeah. But I think the defense is is plenty capable of continuing to to win games if it can get you know, a boost from the offense like we saw on yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Giving up over 300 yards is definitely a concern. <laughs> in, uh, 300 yards in the air um, and having four different receivers that had pass plays of 25 or greater yards, like that's not what you want to see. I mean, they, they really moved the ball around to a lot of different receivers, which is in stark contrast to State's offensive approach. They really tightened up the the receiving rotation there was only what five guys that, that caught a pass and only and one of them was Bradley Rosner only caught one so uh, Marshall was really trying to move the ball around and um, you know everybody knows at this point that the state secondary is hurting and uh, they had another injury this this week now so it's going to be something that um, people are going to continue to try and test them on so um, I, I, I think my, you know, uh, subjective look at the, the game 
Um, a lot of the previous games that State has played against, the defense has gone on the field because the offense wasn't able to sustain a drive and would have a three and out and a punt. So the defense would have to come back on and would inevitably give up points because they were tired. But the reverse was happening with the same result in uh, in the Marshall game because it's almost as if the offense was scoring too quickly with a few of the drives and then the defense is having to come right back on the field and then they would give up a point. So we had the shootout nature where state was producing positively with these explosive plays. Uh, but the drive length, like the time was, was very short. So, um, you know, I'm not going to say no, don't have uh, <laughs> uh, giant explosive plays like a 62 yard pass with Trent Penix. Um, but uh, you know, some, uh, something with the the other drives where, where they're going to need to just eat clock out, uh, you know, in the traditional sense, and and that goes back to like what you were talking about with the run game. Even though Michael Allen did have probably his his most explosive play of his career um, with his long touchdown run. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Every every drive was like a three and out or like a like a 50-yard touchdown, it felt like, at least. <laughs> yeah, and I, I know um, I sent this to Alec when uh, when Trent Pennick scored the 62-yard touchdown, but I'm pretty sure Alec was the happiest person in the building when that happened. <laughs> I texted Evan from Red and White, and I was like, hey, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that? Um, no, but one thing I want to point out about Trent is, you know, when you get a tight end like that, right, a lot of his production is, is, is schemed up through misdirection, and that's what those plays were. Essentially, they were fake fake running back screens but what I really really liked about the first one is that he made that play happen himself this was the 20-ish yard touchdown after the turnover uh, that put him up 21 to 14 not the really long one Um, you talk about those plays you know these types of fake screens and and eye candy misdirection type things that we were just talking about state struggling with Um, you know I thought that particular play was one where you know the the guy responsible for Penix on that play stayed home I thought he did a good job you know, he didn't bite on the fake, but then Trent got him to bite with his route, which was really, really, really cool. And then you really got to see the speed. Uh, he ran like 20 miles an hour on that, I think is what I saw, which is. Yeah, he had, he had two of them. One was around 20 point, like close to 21. And another one was like 19 and change. Yeah. So, you know, that, that to me is a weapon through and through. Um, and a guy that, that you know, needs to be a bigger part of the offense. And that was really awesome to see. I know he hasn't necessarily been healthy and he was, he's. You know, there's a part of that that is working back into that, but uh, yeah, that was that was super cool to see, and um, he is one of my favorite players for sure. So that was awesome. And somebody who's kind of become one of my favorite players this year, who I I guess we could say had a had a, a quote unquote breakout game Saturday was Delbert Mims, and um, you know with with I don't know what's going on with Kendrick Raphael if he's injured or if they're redshirting him, but uh, with Jordan Houston not there, Delbert's kind of picked up some of that role and. He's kind of become that uh, that second back in the backfield. He was juking people in this game. Yeah. I've never seen him do that before. So, so what is it about him that he's brought to the offense this year as well? You know, obviously the the power back kind of mentality. We've talked about kind of Reggie Gillespie, a good comparison for him. But you know how how we know there's not really going to be much of a run game this year. But how much more does he bring to it? As long as the offensive line run blocks well, he, he has a lot of damage that he could do. And, and I think his success is, is not as much, uh, is more dependent on the offensive line than Michael Allen's is, I think, because 
of Allen's shiftiness, his speed, his breakaway uh, breakaway ability. But um, you know, if, if Mims gets a good uh, upfront push from from the line, he can really put in some work. Yeah, yeah Delbert. And, go ahead. Delbert um, knows what his role is, and he plays like it, which is cool because you know he's not a guy that's gonna that's gonna make a mistake trying to bust an eighty yard run, right? He's going to go get his three yards. And, you know, if that hole gets bigger because Anthony Carter explodes someone out of the stadium and he busts off a 30-yard touchdown, you know, that's awesome. You know, but he's going to go get his three yards. And I think that's important because it brings, like, a, a, a calming presence, I think, to the run game. Right? He's not going to have a negative play. He's not going to make a stupid mistake, right? He's going to go get what's there. And, you know, there's something to that, staying ahead of the chains. Uh, so, you know, I think that's, that's, a, that's a part. For him, and you know, mentioned Raphael is is a much more explosive player. He is injured, and you know, being able to get a twenty four yard touchdown run out of Delbert Mims is pretty sweet. One thing I wanted to ask also, and I just want to preface this with, um, it won't be as bad as a certain game that happened on Saturday night. But I know Alec has been a little bit open about game management this year with NC State. It'll never get to Miami's level, I don't think. But what <laughs> what what uh, what were your thoughts? Has the game management kind of gotten better this year, or is it kind of something that still concerns you a little bit? Well, I thought it was the worst managed game of the year. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that I don't. That. I mean, so Dave what, clarified. I don't think anything was saving us that night. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, you know, I just, yeah, Dave clarified what they were trying to do with the, the kicks in the post game. And I actually, based on what he said, like, I actually changed my mind on that. I thought that was kind of an interesting approach. And, you know, they saw something on film and they were trying to make something happen with it. And, you know, if you do that and it doesn't work, I can live with that. Maybe don't do that with 30 mile an hour wind blowing directly into you when you clearly practiced it without that. Yeah. But I can understand what's going on there, but things like, the like the Armstrong series is a bad decision flat out. There's no mm-hmm. excuse for that, in my opinion. You you know that you're putting a guy in the game who hasn't played the whole game. You're asking him to make reads. You know you're going to face a blitz because you're at the goal line. You know you're going to face an aggressive defense. Um, he's not. He wasn't ready to be in that position. You can't just do that to a guy, right? You get a feel for the game right mm-hmm. as you play through it, right? You face a blitz enough times, right? You see you know, the speed with which the linebackers are going to come, you know, that kind of thing. You know, he didn't have that. He clearly panicked. It was a really unfair position, you know, for him to be, and I don't put any of the blame on him. Uh, But that was just really inefficient. It was, I mean, ineffective decision-making. I didn't love the first quarter offensively. You know, I I know Morris made some errors and it, you know, resulted in some points for Marshall, but I, I thought they slow walked him into the game a little bit more than, than they could have. I don't think MJ is a guy that needs to be slow walked into anything. I think he'll he'll take the whole apple off the tree right away. So, you know, that's something that you know I thought was a, a little bit weird. He only had three true dropbacks in the first quarter. I think they ran nineteen plays. I think I would like to see a little bit more of that. Yeah. Um and then of course, you know, the series before the half was something that I was just like, Hey, I'm watching the Virginia game again. It's the yeah. same thing. What is this? You know, I mean I understand that, that they're counting numbers in the box and I, I get it. But like Come on, man! Why are you why are you doing two straight Delbert Mims runs and then a QB draw? Yeah. You watch the QB draws in this game. There's a spy there every time. Everybody knows that that is a big component of this offense right now. Stop. Mm-hmm. And I think Dave that, really 
badly wants a Jordan Lynch on his team again. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, that drive was in stark contrast to what happened to Marshall because right on cue, they got the ball back with two minutes left and they pushed the ball right down the field to look to score. And that's like what you would have wanted to see out of State's possession. Um, so, you know, it seems like the the Robert and I influences coming in slowly but surely. Um, you know, he he kind of needs to protect Dave from himself a bit because you know th- that is totally a, a Dave Doran symptom of just wanting to go in cleanly into into halftime and let's let's just get out of here. But there was too much time left on the clock to do that. Right. And yeah. like it wasn't like something where it was like you know, 90 seconds left or something where you can, you can kind of milk that clock a bit, but it was like two is a full two and a half minutes. Yeah. And like you needed probably two full first downs in order to fully kill that clock. And, yeah. uh, and just, it, you know, you just weren't trying. They weren't say, trying. Uh, one more thing about the quarterback draw thing is if I remember, I might be missing one, but I believe they had four third downs in the first half that were double digit yards to go. One of them, Morris, threw a touchdown pass on. The other one, he stood in the pocket. The pressure got home. He threw the ball away. I think you're okay with both of those results, both smart century quarterback. So why why are, why are you calling this pre-read play for him? Right? Why does he need that? Right? He's not going to pick up a first down on third and 12. Right? You know you know that they're ready for that. You can go back and watch the film and see the, the linebacker that's typically dropping into zone is sitting right behind the line of scrimmage as a spy. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I thought that they, they threw that they threw two drives away via play calling. So they gave Marshall a touchdown at the end of the half by putting them in that tough position. Uh, and then they threw away four points at the goal line with the Armstrong series. And, you know, I think if you manage those situations better, you probably win this game by 14 points. Uh, so that was excruciating for me uh, because, yeah. yeah. I, I think that they need to treat – Morris Morris's running ability the same way they did Devin Leary like just pretend it's not there basically <laughs> and like like Morris can run if he has to but he's a much better pass thrower than than Brandon Armstrong was so to be uh, fair Kentucky pretended Devin Leary wasn't there on Saturday either so <laughs> yeah the the fans are ready to chuck him out the window uh it is not that looking was bizarre pretty. man I don't know how did that even happen he was I mean, I was just they over lost the Georgia by forty. That's how it happened. <laughs> but it's just like people are not happy with him over there. And I'm like, well, you know, how did that even come to be? I haven't watched him this year, so I, I really don't know. But like, yeah. you know, he's so good two years ago. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Armstrong was so good two years ago, also. You know, and mm-hmm. yeah. you know, uh, before before Larry got hurt, he was he was good. But he wasn't the same as he was the year before, and now he's going against SEC defenses week in and week out. Um, so he has a much better offensive line, but um, he's, you know, he is who he was always going to be, which is somebody who he clearly has been taught by Dave Doran. You can tell that he spent his whole time just taking what the defense will give you, or just throw the ball away. Don't try to force things. But the SEC offenses are all changing to these air raid styles and he's just not that guy he's not yeah. he's, a, he, he's a you know he, he's a conservative player and he's not gonna make a lot of mistakes but they're looking to compete with georgia and alabama and i, I think a lot, i know we're getting on a huge tangent here but um just to get <laughs> off of kentucky like I, I 
lot of people are jumping off of the Mark Stoops train right now. A lot of yeah. a lot of things are coming coming to light. Especially this last after week his that, uh, after his nil comments this week. Yeah, yeah and then people are are putting his record in front of him now, saying how he basically only has uh, I think it was like three or four conference wins of teams that finished five hundred or better or finished above five hundred. So every other team that you know mostly that, that he's yep. beaten has been at the bottom end of the, of the league. Anyway, well, we stop talking like Kentucky. Last, last thing here for Marshall before, before we move on, I got to ask, uh, they looked really good on TV, but how did you like the uniforms that they wore Saturday? I think I'm like a seven out of 10. I liked them. Yeah. The, the state uniforms or the Marshall? Yeah. Uniforms? Marshall's I could have done without, but States. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked them. I, I, and I think I saw that that's the first color co- first time that color combination has second. ever been used. The second time. Okay. They wore it. Oh, in, I remember the first time. No, they wore them against Virginia the year that yeah. they the week after they lost to UNC on the Geo Bernard punt return, and with, that's a game to forget. That was like the thirty-three <laughs> to six game or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that was the only other time they'd worn them, and that was a Tom O'Brien game. First time under Dave that they'd worn them, but mm-hmm. yeah. I, I I always love the the red helmets. I I I think they don't wear the red helmets enough. Um, yeah, so. I really we've had this conversation off camera, but I, I'd love for them to bring the red pants back with the red helmets. I know why Dave doesn't because he's superstitious and he hasn't won a game in that combination. <laughs> but I'd love for them to to bring that uniform back. I I just for once I want to see all red versus all blue, but red top to bottom versus blue top to bottom in, in the UNC State game. Maybe if they make the ACC championship game, that'll happen. <laughs> but I don't think it'll happen in Raleigh. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to handle it if they. Yeah, no, no. Obviously, Amazing. State wins forty-eight, forty-one. Maybe Miami will forget to kneel against us in a few weeks, and we'll win that football game that yeah, way. Yeah, I'll take but, it. Uh, State State gets the win there, and they are two wins away from bowl eligibility. They'll look to get one win closer Saturday. Technically on the road against Duke, not really on the road. I don't know how many Duke fans are going to be in Wallace Wade, how well NC State fans bought up all the tickets to the game. I guess we'll find out Saturday night. But it is technically MJ Morris' first road game as the quarterback of NC State. But, of course, the only road trip NC State takes this year outside of the Southeast was to UConn. So they've already done that. So this is one of their shorter road trips of the year, also one of their longer road trips of the year. <laughs> but uh, what do you guys know about uh, about this Duke team? I know there's some questions about whether or not Riley Leonard goes, and that's going to be huge for NC State, dependent upon his health. But uh, tell us what you know about this Duke team. They scare me. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, so, you know, this is a team that I think, whether Leonard plays or not, right, can – Put up can move the ball against against state's defense, and I say that because even if I just forgot his last name, oh Henry Bellin is I believe it's Bellin, is that correct? Is the um is the backup? Both those guys, him and and um Leonard, are both very mobile quarterbacks. Uh, and this is a Duke team that can run the ball. Uh, I don't think they're necessarily elite running the football, uh, but they can do plenty good plenty good enough job uh so i think what you're, you're going to see a lot of the you know read option stuff you're going to see a lot of that stuff that's really put state in a bind defensively and uh you know they're they're certainly capable of busting off some big plays like that i mean you know riley leonard has certainly had his share of explosive runs this year uh that's something that that you know i don't like that matchup for that reason we actually had a question about this on on twitter today it was 
you know, it seems like a good matchup on the surface because Duke is a run first team. Uh, you know, they're a decent rushing team and state's run defense has been fantastic. Uh, but what worries me is, is the extensions of the running game uh, from Duke. That, that is, that's something if, if they are, if they're undisciplined defensively, and I think they were in parts on Saturday, uh, you know, this is something that, you know, could go badly for them, I think, because, you know, Duke is pretty good defensively too. And uh, I'm not expecting state to score 48 points on Saturday or anything even close to that. So uh, it's, it's, that's going to be the big storyline for me. I don't, I'm not, you know, Leonard's a better quarterback, obviously, but you know, that's, that's something they'll have in their back pocket, whether he plays or not. So that's something that, you know, state can be able to handle those types of, um, those types of concepts defensively is what really something I'm going to be watching. Yeah. Yeah. It's really um, something where they all of a sudden have, have a really strong combination of a very confident, maybe not elite offense, but a very good defense. And, you know, the the fact that they're allowing less than 200 yards passing per game is very impressive. Um, You know, I, I just think, and, and I said it at the time that, uh, Mike Elko was really out of their league and they, they were really lucky to hire him when I, I was kind of shocked that, that they, they were able to, to land somebody out of the SEC like that. Um, uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's probably a situation I'm hoping that he only is going to stick around for a couple of years until he can get a, a, a bigger gig and, and then move on. Um, you know, maybe he'll take the Michigan State job. I don't know. But... Yeah, I was going to say, Mike Elko's name has come up in the Michigan State search, along with the Marshall coach, by the way, Charles Huff. His name yeah, has also yeah, come that, up. And that, I think, guy is, it... that guy's going to be coaching a Power 5 team within the next, like... Yeah, I think it was you that said that to me, right? Yeah. You, you thought he should be a Power 5 coach. I would he agree with you. He should be already. I yeah. mean, they, they were on a nine-game winning streak, you know, and they they beat Notre Dame in South End last year. So that guy's mm-hmm. good. But, you yeah, uh, know, you know, it, a lot has already been made about this magical turnaround that all of a sudden has turned Duke into a football school. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of surreal that it's happened so quickly. And it, you know, obviously, um, I'm, I'm not an anti Dave Dorn person, but a lot of the people online, this his meteor cries gives ammunition to the folks that are trying to point to. Uh, reasons to why uh, you know you could move on from a coach and turn things around quickly, especially in the current era with with the transfer portal. Um, but yeah. you know, obviously, we'll see if this is sustainable from Duke. But the the main thing that I've seen differently with them is very subjective. It comes down to just their all, overall swagger, which you've never seen from a Duke team before. They're carrying themselves in yeah. that Clemson. That Clemson game was very unique because they went in the Clemson game, not phased, not, uh, didn't feel like they were overmatched in any way, even though the recruiting stars didn't line up on, on either side of the team, but they, they stepped on the field as if they belonged there. And just that simple piece of the puzzle was, was always missing from Duke that, that he has, he has them believing. And they were an inch away from beating Notre Dame. And, you know, that's, you know, it's extremely impressive. The, just the way they move around the field. They fly to the ball. Their, their defense is very good. And they just believe that they are, they can beat anyone. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something where like they're, they were a few plays away from being five and zero right now. And, yeah. um, you know, it's uh, kind of, it's kind of shocking. You mentioned also, um, you know, that they're not giving <laughs> up a whole lot through the air. 
Uh, Marshall was similar, only 125 yards per game through the year coming in. Obviously, Marshall and Duke are are not on the same level. They might be, we don't know, but I mean, they 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 aren't right now on the same level. Um, so that's a little bit different. But does that make you feel a little bit better that at least there was a pass game Saturday that we might be able to use this week as well? So, yes, I think so. I so Duke's Duke's not played any great wide receiving groups yet this year. Notre Dame doesn't scare you at wide receiver. They have good tight ends. They have a good offensive line. They have a good running back group. They have a decent, okay-ish quarterback. Um, <laughs> they don't. They don't. They don't scare you at receiver. I don't think Clemson scares you at receiver. It's not a knock on Duke in any way. You know, I think they have a very good secondary. They're very good defense. I don't know that NC State scares you that much at receiver either. <laughs> but it is a group that I think maybe is isn't quite as good as they've looked to this point, because even though they've played a Clemson and a Notre Dame, right, they should have lost to Clemson. Clemson ran the ball all over them and just auto fumbled every time they got to the five yard line. (laughs) And Notre Dame just doesn't, they don't have great players at wide receiver. Um, So it will be interesting to see, you know, if that continues, you know, or if there's something state can do about that. You know, state does have some matchup issues at receiver. You know, Concepcion is a matchup problem for some guys for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I think is, is, I forgot what the question was, but the answer is yes. So whatever, <laughs> you, whatever you said, <laughs> the question was, uh, you know, state was able to kind of exploit a defense that wasn't giving up a whole lot through the air. Now, granted, you look at who Marshall's played versus right. who Duke has played. There's a right. little bit of a difference there, but mm-hmm. Saad, your sure. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would feel, I feel a lot better now uh, as opposed to a, um, I would have felt prior to this change at quarterback. Um, I, I think if we were going into this game with uh, Brandon Armstrong still a quarterback, I, I would have put the chances much lower. Um, but you know, now with with MJ Morris at the helm, it really gives the feeling like okay, State has a chance at any game they go play in the rest of the way. Um, so uh, you know, it doesn't. I don't think it's guaranteed that they'll definitely pull out the win, but um, I, I think that he's going to find he's going to find something and he's going to I think I'm not worried about the way the his ability to make plays will be um I, I think it'll be similar to where it'll be like kind of a feast or famine type situation like it was against Marshall um I hope it doesn't turn into another shootout but I like our chances um in in that regard with how well the defense is playing right now uh so you know I I think I think it could be. I think it could be good. I think. I actually think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think it's going to be more along the lines of the UVA game, like a twenty-four-twenty-one kind of affair. Just because uh, you know, State's still trying t- to kind of figure themselves out offensively. I know they kind of turned a corner, and if Duke doesn't have Riley Leonard, how well are they going to be able to move the football? I think that's a question mark for sure. Yeah, both teams' defense is definitely better than their offenses. I think you definitely could see a, a low-scoring game. But like I said, there's there's some things to exploit on State's defense that I think Duke could be well cut out for. Uh, and, you know, I still think, you know, State's offense is still kind of up in the air. Like, you know, there's obviously a very different look last week than the rest of the season. So, you know, it could go a lot of different ways. But, Trey, I generally agree. I think it'll probably be played in the 20s. Um, and I think it'll be a close game. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a primetime game at Duke. Like you said, not sure 
whether they're going to be able to pack the place. Um, has Duke sold out a football game yet? I, with the way they sold out the, I thought they sold out the Clemson and Notre Dame game. But other than no, that, they, they did. But like <laughs> half the half the fans were yeah. orange in the first game. I, right. It'll be yeah, uh, if, you, if you look at the crowd for when they played that FCS school that they played this year, Lafayette. Lafayette I, I don't want to, I didn't get too many good looks at the crowd, but it, it was far from full. So, yeah. I saw the Northwestern crowd and, and it was empty. It, it's a similar thing to Wake Forest, even though it's a little more disappointing with, with Wake Forest with how well they've consistently played over the last few years. But it was last year or the year before they were ranked in the top 25, the majority of the season and still struggled to fill that stadium, even though that, that stadium is like half the size of Port Finley. And so. you have to think about also the fact that the calendar has switched to mid-October. So their 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 basketball season is right around the corner as well. And I don't know mm-hmm. if if Duke fans really know what to do right now because they've got a good <laughs> football team and they're a perennial basketball power. I and they're mean, recruiting that... really, really well. I know up here in, in, in this well, the next state over from me, uh the number one in state recruit spurned the in state school to go play for Duke basketball. So there's a there's some discord there, but you know, do they know what to do? I mean, that's, that's like we didn't know what to do last year when we were ranked in the top ten. And we went to Clemson, like yeah, we didn't know what to do. So I, I imagine Duke fans are feeling the same thing. I mean, it's it's a similar situation to what um, is like five out of the traditional air quotes. If you want audio, can't see my making air quotes. The traditional air, uh, blue blood schools that are in the top twenty five for the first time ever in the history of the AP poll um, and Louisville, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the um what's the um report around the, the Duke fan base this on? You're in New Jersey. <laughs> um, I knew that joke was coming. <laughs> the the majority of the people that, that wear the, the Duke uh stuff in um New Jersey either don't know that they have a football team or uh bought the sweatshirt because they like the logo. Um so I didn't realize Rutgers was so popular up there. <laughs> Yeah, people enjoy going to Rutgers games to see other Big Ten teams. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's not bad. So, yeah, the, when I first moved uh, to, to New Jersey, I saw somebody wearing a Carolina hat and immediately went to, like, you know, talk trash to him because that's kind of what you do in, in North Carolina. And he looked at me very confused. And he's <laughs> like, like, I just like the hat, man. I'm like, <laughs> Well, that kind of leads into a, before we get to the next segue, it was going to be an interesting segue, but uh, before we get to the next part of that, um, Alec, you mentioned you thought the game would be in the 20s. Just kind of give us your thoughts on uh, score predictions for Saturday night. I mean, I think I said it could go a lot of ways, you know, just given, you know, the performance of the two defenses to this point, I'm going to predict the game in the 20s, but there could be some explosive plays that make this game go a little higher than that for sure, but you know, I see it something along maybe like a 28, 20, 20, you know, 27, 21 type game. I think Duke's going to win. I think they're the better team. Um, and I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a close game for pretty much throughout. Yeah. I, I think it's probably about the same. Um, I have the sneaking suspicion that um, we might see MJ Morris do some good things, but overall, you know, he, he might be due for, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of a situation as, as he continues to just get his feet wet um, with being a week-in and week-out starter. Uh, I, you know, it's possible we could see them only score twice, something like a, you know, 
two touchdown and one field goal game, so maybe a 17 to 27 type loss. It's, you know, I don't want to see that, obviously. I would love to see State win. I, but the main reason I don't want to see it is to is to have to deal with the fan reaction of losing to to do a Duke team with a second-year coach. Um, you know, it's going to be the whole, this is your 11 type thing all over again, and that's going to be really frustrating to have to go through. Um, Again, but you know, I, yeah. I, you're right. I, Duke has put together, and and these have to still be Cutcliffe's players for the majority. I don't think they've gotten like they didn't right. get a Colorado I mean, level. It's not like they were Colorado and just like pretty certain roster. Riley Leonard was a David Cutcliffe recruit. I'm fairly certain. I might be wrong about that, but yeah. they've they've filled in pieces out of the portal, but they didn't revamp the entire roster. Which well, you think about. I can recognize some of the names. I think there's an Al, there might be an Alabama guy that portaled in there's a miami guy that portaled in so they did do yeah they did do some damage in the portal but uh uh yeah for the most part i feel like the guys that have been there that that didn't portal in or portal out are are david cutcliffe's guys unless there's a a freshman making noise or, or something that was recruited by by elko i'm with you on mike elko i think his stay in durham is short i think probably as soon as this off season um hot take he uh he might get gobbled up by somebody, um maybe a certain SEC school that wears blue and white. Maybe I don't know, but uh, <laughs> um there's um it, I, I think it's going to be tough. I, I'm not going to be able to pick a winner just yet because I th- I really do think State has a chance to win this game if Riley Leonard doesn't play. If Riley Leonard does play, I'm less certain State wins the game. So I will have to see. I don't haven't heard anything new on whether or not he's good to go. I know that they were saying it wasn't uh, wasn't a long term thing, and they had a bye week after Notre Dame. So that's also something to keep in mind. State has their bye week next week. Duke's coming out of their bye week, so that's something to uh, to watch there as well. And we'll have our picks up on Trinity Road Times website here uh, later on in the week. Assad so wanted to touch on a, on a point that I think is interesting also. Uh, and that is, you know, where does NC State currently stack up with some of the rest of the teams in the ACC? Kind of who are the top teams in the ACC? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think Florida State and North Carolina are extremely overrated. I think Louisville is the best team in the ACC right now. So just just give me your thoughts on uh, on where you guys think things stand. I think that's a terrible take, Trey. Florida State, is, I think Florida State is quite good. Um, yeah, they are. It's, it's a Mike Norvell thing, I think, to 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 play to the level of your competition a little bit. Like they almost lost to Boston College, um, but you know they're. I think they're they're the best team in the ACC. Yeah, they're pretty good from top to bottom. Um, Drake May is certainly a very good quarterback. I don't know that I buy that UNC is that good yet. They've played some absolutely garbage opponents. To I mean, point. how do they go to double overtime with an App State team that's three and three? App State's not very good. Syracuse was obviously a fraud. Their best win was a crappy Purdue team. Um, but, you know, they're they're clearly, you know, their defense is much improved from last year, which w- would have been hard to not do, but uh, it definitely is. Um, and, you know, they have plenty of firepower still on offense, so that's definitely a good team. And Louisville is an interesting one. Um, you know, I'll just they're up for a second. I, I just want it to be known that I did pick Louisville in the preseason. Before any of this even happened, I picked Louisville to go to the ACC championship game. So, I think I have Florida State and Clemson. Um, and I, I still think Clemson might be the second best team in the ACC, but they have thrown away two football games that they could have easily won. Uh, Louisville, 
beat Georgia Tech by five points. They beat Indiana by three points, or sorry, seven points, and they beat NC State by three points. When you win repeatedly one possession games, you're typically at a record that's better than your quality of team because most teams win between 40 and 60% of one possession games over any large sample size. So Louisville, it'll be an interesting thing to watch. Can they continue to win close games because they're going to continue to play close games? Um, typically the answer to that is no. You know, we saw that last year. UNC started the season 6-0 and in one-possession games and lost four straight to end the season, three of them one-possession games. Yeah. You know, those can fall either way because there's a randomness factor to it. So I mean, to, I use a, to use an NFL example, the Minnesota Vikings last year were, what, like 10-1 and in one-possession games or something, and here they are 1-4, and and every single one of their games has been one possession this year. <laughs> so the, right. the, the dam yeah. eventually breaks. Yeah, exactly. You can't, yeah. Keep, yeah, you can't keep winning games like that. It just doesn't work. There's too, there's too much that can happen. So right. I'll be interested to see what happens with Louisville. I, the the main thing that um, I have to begrudgingly admit with with UNC is is um, how improved they are on defense, and they at least know how to properly tackle this year, and they haven't <laughs> been able to successfully yeah, but they don't have do Pete that. Wilson though. They they don't have Peyton Wilson and they never will, which is something we can <laughs> we will always know. Uh, but you know they they don't need Drake May to go out and pass for five hundred yards uh, every week um, like they kind of did last year. So that's that makes them a little bit scary. But yeah, their schedule has been has been pillow soft so far. I think uh, so. It'll be interesting yeah, to see how that goes. Opponents and special shout out to Chris McDonald on Twitter. Uh, their non conference opponents are four and ten. <laughs> I mean, it, it, if they can get past Miami, which I'm, you know, I'm kind of hoping Miami, um, you know, bounces back from the Georgia Tech. I would actually um, be surprised if Miami didn't go into Chapel Hill and, and win that game to, to bounce back from from last week's debacle against Georgia Tech. Uh, but you know, if they can, if UNC can get past Miami, get ready for all of the dark horse headlines for the CFP for Carolina because they're going to go 9-0 and to start the season um, because they have Miami, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Campbell to start. I'm telling uh, you right now, watch that Virginia game. Watch that Virginia game. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. If, if uh, Anthony Calandria comes back and suddenly balls out, watch that Watch that Virginia game. <laughs> watch out for, for Campbell, the Camels. Actually, the Camels. seriously, Campbell, what they've been doing there is really impressive. They've been out recruiting some Division One Power 5 schools. But they won't, they won't have a chance against UNC, but they've been very, very impressive in the run the recruiting trail. Campbell has. State plays Campbell either 2025 or 2026, I believe, in Raleigh. Yeah, Absolutely. Interesting, the interesting story <laughs> of the last couple of days has been about how neither Louisville, Florida State, or Carolina play each other. And there's a scenario... You know, obviously, it's statistically unlikely, but that they could all finish the season undefeated in the conference. So then it runs into this weird three-way tiebreaker type situation, which we don't need to go into. But uh, just, I guarantee was, you that Louisville would be the odd team out in that situation. Well, I think that would be, yeah, because yeah. I, I think that's what they decided. But yeah, it's very statistically unlikely. But I don't think Louisville's gonna Louisville's gonna drop a game they shouldn't to someone yeah. who's not good and lose to you know Duke or something along the way. And right. so. Real fast, then, um, and you can't say us because, uh, you know, <laughs> but who do you feel like is a team that has been a disappointing team in the ACC this year? I think the answer is Clemson, but any other any other choices there? 
Um, it's got to be Clemson, right? <laughs> Record-wise, it's Clemson, but but Clemson I think is is better than their record. Um, disappointing is Pitt for sure. Pitt is yeah. horrible. Yeah, yeah. Pitt is absolutely horrible, and um, I don't think anybody expected them to be that bad. Uh, we don't have to go too far into this, but I actually don't think Pat Narduzzi is that good of a coach. Mm. Um, I think he is a secondaries coach, and I don't think he's got it as a head coach. I, I never really felt that he was all that good. Yeah. Um, I think Mark Whipple did a lot for him in his two years. Um, or it was two, in, in his in twenty twenty one. The Kenny Pickett and, years. You know, yeah. Jordan Addison was the best receiver in the country, and it's not that he doesn't get any credit for that, but. I just don't think, you know, I, I don't, I think he's stubborn and stuck in his way a little bit. And I think it's, it's, you know, he had um, Abana Kanda last year who was really, really good. Uh, but, you know, the pieces aren't in place for him this year at all. Yeah. Uh, and I think if he doesn't have great athletes on defense, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think his team is competitive. And I think you're kind of seeing that a little bit. They put a lot of DBs in the NFL because he's a phenomenal defensive backs coach. But yeah. when they don't have it, yeah. they don't have it. And they don't uh, have it. I've also been, really- I would say, if my choice, if it wasn't Clemson, I would say it's Wake. Yeah, I was going to say. Wake. I would say oh, Wake has been Wake's been a little disappointing this year. Um, you know, they haven't been the dynamic offense that they they're used to being. They lost to Georgia Tech. I guess Georgia Tech's kind of better than I think people make them out to be too. But um, yeah, I'd say Wake Forest has been kind of the disappointing team for me this year outside of Clemson. Yeah, su- a surprising drop off um, from. From last year, I mean, they were already showing signs of that last year. You know, they, you know, they were kind of being held together by like a big band aid that was Sam Hartman. And I, uh, I, it's funny how Sam Hartman keeps coming up week after week on this podcast. But <laughs> watch, watch, watch one of our favorite teams in the NFL draft, Sam Hartman. Then we're gonna talk about it even more. <laughs> oh yeah, week in week out on the Carolina. Let's say move on from the Bryce Young era. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, well, I mean. I- Georgia Tech is definitely playing, punching above their weight. I, I think that there well, are two colleges too. Yeah, so I, they're they're hanging in there in the top five of the ACC, which I don't think is going to last. Boston College found themselves a quarterback, and I think that's kind of saved Jeff Halfley's job too a little bit there. That's a guy I thought would sustain a little better than he has. Mm-hmm. Jeff Halfley, he's yeah. fallen off a couple of years in a hurry because they were good. What was that? Was that his first year? Or was the second? I don't remember. I don't remember um, either, yeah. The Dracovic year, the first Dracovic year before he got hurt. I think it was 2020, actually. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we get got to get to a random question of the day here. And it's a question that I've been thinking about on one end of it throughout the, the, um, the podcast here. And first of all, apologies in advance to the tourism's departments of these locations. But the random question of the day today is, what is the most underrated city you visited and what is the most overrated city you visited? And again, apologies in advance to anybody listening who might be in one of these cities' tourism departments. <laughs> um, so uh, underrated city, I, I just went there this past, like a month ago, like two months ago, um, was uh, San Diego in not even not specifically San Diego, but the outlying town of La Jolla, California. Uh, it was the first time I had ever, had ever been to California and we went there and to LA, which to be honest is a bit underrated. Uh, but, uh, I really, really dug, um, San Diego and La Jolla, like just the weather is just great all the time. 
and really great views and it's just a nice chill vibe it's like that a lot of like the southern hospitality type thing that you get from people that are just a little bit more relaxed out there um it's nice when it's like 77 degrees and sunny like year round it's gonna put you in a better mood i guess um so i i think that i would say that 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 whole area is is really underrated you gotta you gotta give an overrated answer too i think (laughs) If you don't want to, that's fine. But <laughs> I don't, I don't, yeah, I need to I need to think about it for a second. I I think uh, I think the city of Miami is probably a bit overrated. Um, you know, I I think that it's it, it doesn't live up to the the glamorous hype that it tries to. Yeah, Las Vegas is kind of like that a bit as well. But um, yeah, I really liked. Uh, well, for that, Las Vegas was something I thought about, and I think Las Vegas is exactly what it's advertised as properly rated <laughs> it's properly rated um <laughs> the most underrated place i've ever been to is kansas city if you ever get a chance to go to kansas city kansas city is wickedly cool mm. i love kansas city it had the best food of any city i've personally been to uh obviously kansas city is famous for barbecue joe's barbecue has the rocket pig sandwich uh, joe's barbecue was in a gas station if you didn't know uh, <laughs> but that does not stop it from making Probably the single best thing I've ever eaten in my life was the Rocket Pig Sandwich. Really? Kansas City. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Yeah. Um, it's it's just, yeah. It was a it was a it's huge. It was let's see if I can get this right. It was it's like chipotle mayo, pulled pork, pepper jack cheese, and then these like fried deep fried jalapenos, and then like a like a sweet barbecue sauce. And it was it was I've, they they sell it. They have it other places. I, there's actually a place in in Raleigh that has one, but it doesn't even come close. Um, that was that was so good. So um, Joe's Barbecue, if you happen to like NC State football, uh, pay us money for that. <laughs> um, no, Kansas City is awesome, and then and then my most overrated city is Washington D.C. Um, that is the worst food I've ever had. I think the best place we went, I went to D.C. for three days, and the best restaurant I went to there was Shake Shack. Uh, so. <laughs> Don't 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 care. And the roads in that place make no sense at yeah. all. It almost feels like someone built a city road network, and then someone else didn't like it and came in and just built another one on top of it. It just <laughs> makes absolutely no sense. There are like intersections that are like triangles with other intersections right behind them, and it's just yeah. man, it was it was a mess. So that would be that would be mine. I would have to say, and I had to think about the underrated one i had my answer and then i started thinking about it a little bit i almost said chicago i really liked chicago uh at least the loop portion of chicago but i would have to say and this is an answer that's going to surprise probably everybody except alec i think the most underrated city i visited is fargo north dakota Ooh, that's a good one Mm. that is a very very underrated city people don't people are sleeping on on that city it's it's growing it's got a lot of really cool bars and restaurants downtown, and there's some old historic sites not too far away. Uh, it's it's becoming a little bit more of a place that people are normalizing. <laughs> I know you think <laughs> of North Dakota and you think of, what? There's nothing out there. But Fargo is a cool, cool little city. North Park. Yeah. <laughs> Fargo has the tallest, used to have the tallest man-made structure ever, which was a radio tower. Uh, I think it's fifth now. In the entire world, wow. just a just a big radio tower. You can go see it. 
That's your Fargo attraction. Well, Fargo's cool. That's your North Dakota attraction, is it? Yeah. Is so, so you know, because we've both been there. What, what, what makes what makes Fargo cool in your eyes? It has culture to it. I yeah. Mean, it's, got, it's it's like it's it's like a little like enclave in there of like cool little cultural things, and it's a great. I mean, it's a great city if you like breweries and things like that. It's got a lot of those because it's in the Midwest. So, um, yeah, I I thought it was really cool too. It's small. It kind of feels almost like a mini Raleigh in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I would have to say, and I've had to think about this one. I've had three or four different cities pop up in my head. Um, but the decision that I'm settling on, and I'll explain why I didn't choose the other city, but the decision that I've settled on is Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. I went to Madison, Wisconsin for a day trip just to go and see it. And... There was nothing going on. <laughs> there was nothing down. happening. So I walked down. around, nothing was open. And I I guess I should go give myself a second chance there. I wasn't there when school was in session, so that maybe was part of it also. But I'd love to go to a, a, like a Wisconsin Badger football game and just experience that. It's the Midwest but, version of Chapel Hill. Like, that's that's really what your expectation yeah, level is. Yeah. The other one that I was going to say, and then I have an explanation for why why I didn't choose this. The second choice would have been Indianapolis. And the reason why I say that is because I had the privilege this year of going to the Indy 500. Mm. And the day after, we would, went downtown Indianapolis, and it was the same exact thing. I think everybody was I think everybody was just kind of tuckered out from the from the from the race. There was nobody around. It was silent. Everything was you could just walk into a restaurant, sit down and get food. Yeah. Like that, yeah, that, that was my experience going going to Indy and it's it's uh the downtown area is very walkable and yeah. there yeah. in and I was talking to the rental car guy at the airport about about how they host so many different events and he was basically said so like the city has built their infrastructure around hosting these giant events like the Super mm-hmm. Bowl or the Final Four or like its major races yep. and their airport can handle massive loads of people. They have wide highways that take people. beautiful by the way. Yeah. It's it's nice and you get to downtown in less than twenty minutes from the airport and it's like it's built basically as a sort of like transient city. <laughs> Somebody Just told to... us this. The one guy we ran into in downtown Indianapolis told us this, and I I don't know how true it is or not, but he said it's the largest city in the Midwest by landmass. Oh, wow! <laughs> so make of that what, what you will. Most <laughs> land. Austin was really cool too. I I went to Austin with him last year and really enjoyed myself. That's what I want to go to. I've never been to Austin, but it yeah. seems cool. Yeah, I've never been. I've I've heard the same thing. So. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Lockcast. Hopefully we'll have a lot of happy things to talk about after the Duke game. Next week is also the bye week. So we'll have some other things to discuss as well. Uh, any other NC State-related news and notes next week as well. Uh, uh, one quick one quick shout-out, not to interrupt you, but a uh, quick shout-out to Kevin Concepcion for being the highest-graded freshman on PFF in the nation last week. Yeah, <laughs> freshman <laughs> All-American. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, so and Peyton Wilson was named a uh, I believe Senior Bowl All American watch list or something today. So um, we'll have to get some clarification on that. But uh, <laughs> he was named for something with the Senior Bowl, so that'll be that'll be fun to watch as well uh, going nice. forward. Those two guys and, and the rest of the year. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Lockcast. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Join us next week. <laughs>